All right, good morning. So let's open up our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 14. And as Pastor tells us every week, if you don't own a Bible, look on the chair in front of you, grab a Bible. Uh, after reading this, this book for 44, 45 years, whatever it has been now, I have come to know, it would be, you'd be on the shadow of a doubt, this is God's Word. And God reveals Himself to us. He, re, he tells us everything He wants us to really know about Himself from this book. It's in there about us, about the world around us. And I guarantee it makes a lot of sense about what's going on in this world nowadays. So take it home and read it. Write your name in it. It's yours. Now, out of all the books in the Bible, the one that I seem to go to the most when I'm talking to somebody about Jesus or about sharing the gospel is Romans. I mean, I love Romans. I love it so much that I took two and a half years and preached through it a number of years ago. So I can't believe that he can talk so fast. I mean, I, I have that trouble, you know, of talking slower and, and looking at every single word and Fear and I miss one. But you know, the first three chapters of Romans, Paul does this fab fabulous job of condemning the whole world, condemning everybody under sin, putting everybody under God's wrath. So that's a good place to start when you're starting to share the gospel with people because we all need to know we're sinners and we need to be rescued from something. And then the next couple of chapters, about halfway through chapter 3, chapter 4, and Chapter 5 tells us that our rescuer, his name is Jesus, and that what happened is he became man, you know, God, eternal Son of God, took on human flesh. He was fully God, fully man. He came, he walked amongst us, and he did this out of love because he knew that we were under such a sin debt that we were, we were so burdened by our sin and, and we could not do anything to escape God's wrath against that sin so he actually became the one that stood in our place he became the substitute so that's what you know romans chapters four and five are just wonderful how jesus stepped in and he took the punishment due us and that's just the message that people need to hear when they're under sin that he took that punishment and and we have accredited to our accounts all of the good things he's ever done so i just love that and then we get to chapters you know 6 and 7 and if i want i'm going to summarize those really cuz i only have a little bit of time i'm going to make it really short if you're waging a war against sin don't worry you're okay because everyone in Christ wages a war against sin. Now, my problem is when you stop fighting, you say, ah, who cares, sin? But if you are waging a war against sin, the Holy Spirit's working in you. And in chapter 8, you know, we get some wonderful news for those who are weary from fighting the battle against sin, and that being that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And at the end of that chapter, we're told that we're, we're, we're all overcomers in Christ. So I just love that. Um, you know, chapters 9, 10, 11... Uh, let me, I'll, I'll just boil those down really quick. Jew or Gentile, nobody gets to heaven but through Jesus. I mean, that's just, I'm summarizing it right there. When God gives the grace to believe, that's when we get to heaven. So none of us get to heaven except through the cross of Christ. So really a nice summary. 
Uh, then we get into chapter 12, which transitions us from the first 11 chapters of doctrine, of theology, and it says, okay, chapter 12, here's how we start living it. Here's how we can, we can work out all of that good doctrine in our lives. Then you get to chapter 13, and chapter 13 talks about the two things we're not supposed to talk about, religion and politics. All right? <laughs> Well, it's, it's typically the, the Christian's response to government, but religion and politics, you know. And we just aren't going to talk about that. We're going to move on to chapter 14. So last week in chapter 14, Pastor Stephen got up here and he preached the first half of chapter 14. And at the end of chapter, uh, at the first half, and at the end of his message last week, we came across verse 12. And verse 12 says, So then... Each of us will give an account of himself to God. So that's kind of like a cliffhanger that we're all going to one day give an account of ourselves to God. And not this kind of God you see on TV. I mean, the God who sits on this throne that the heavens and the earth kind of just flee from. You know, when he sets up the judgment seat, Everything else goes. I mean, we can't sit there and say, you know, God, you know I'm a good person. You know my heart. That's the problem. He knows our hearts. That God. We're all going to have to give an account for. So that's where we pick up today. If you'll read with me, chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I'm just going to stop there real quick and just paraphrase it a bit. Since we're all going to give an account to God, and Jesus says even every careless word we're going to have to answer for, since we're all going to have to give an account to God, let's not make matters any worse by pointing fingers at one another or by making it more difficult for one another to follow Jesus. Let's not throw any stumbling blocks out there. Let's not put any hindrances because we're going to have to answer for them to the one who died for us, the one who gave his all. Therefore, do not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom God died. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So last week, Pastor talked about meat offered to idols and how some Christians were getting this bargain on meat and it was offending others. So in our sermon last week, there was this discussion about the weak and the strong in the faith. Well, Today, Paul's kind of moving and he's clarifying that a bit more and he's, he starts to talk about the clean and the unclean. 
Now, for those of you who have not been saved all that long, that God just recently saved you, and you maybe haven't read the first part of the book here, in the first part of the book called the Old Testament, at some point God chooses this people for himself. People end up being called Israel. He chooses his people for himself. And he gives them certain rules and laws and and different things like that that differentiate them from other people. So they stand apart. They become this peculiar people out there that God says, they are my own. And in those laws that God gives to Israel, all right, he decreed certain things, certain animals, certain foods, certain practices, certain even medical conditions, intimate relationships and the like. He says some of these are clean for you and some of these are unclean. The clean ones you embrace. The unclean ones you flee from. So it's with that in mind that Paul now says in Romans here, basically, that everything for a Christian is clean. But there's kind of a disclaimer that comes along that. Everything's clean for us Christians as long as it doesn't lead us into sin. As long as it doesn't lead us or those around us into sin. Consider it clean. Go for it. Different things like that. We're going to talk a lot more about this. You know, if you're doing something Paul's talking about in here, if you're doing something or not doing something that, that kind of offends your brothers or your sisters in Christ, that you're troubling them because you're doing it, even though you have the freedom to do it as a Christian, even though it's clean to you, he's saying if you're doing that, why don't you just kind of stop talking about it, stop convincing them of it, Stop doing it in front of those that are finding offense. Now, now that was the whole practice of eating meat that we heard last week. But I want to just talk about that in a moment. Maybe some other things that are more relevant because I haven't ate any meat I offered to idols lately. And I've not had the opportunity. In fact, the only time I really ever eat meat is here on Wednesday nights. And I doubt that anybody in that kitchen is offering it to idols, or it has been offered to idols, so I don't need to worry about that. But there are other practical things in our lives that we're going to look at in a minute. But before we do that, I just want to make one thing perfectly clear. When Paul says that, you know, everything's clean to him, everything is clean, um, he's never going to have us walk into sin because something is clean. He's never going to let it lead us into sin. I just got to clarify that because so many people are going to just run out of here. Well, maybe not from this church, but from other churches. They may just want to run out there and do something saying, it's clean to me. It's clean. I just heard it was clean. Okay. Nowhere in God's word, nowhere does God ever tell us that he made good things for us to sin with them. He never did that. He never made anything. So so don't, please don't. And I know no one in this crowd would ever tell me this, but I've actually heard it before. Well, God made marijuana and poppies. They must be good. I'm going to go out and get high. I mean, it's all right, right? He made it. It's good. Everything's good. That's not what Paul's talking about here when he says that everything is clean to him. So what's this list of meats 
today that Paul kind of talks about? What would be this list of things categorized under meat? Maybe the first one that comes to my mind is the consumption, the non-intoxicating consumption of alcohol. That might be one of these meats that some Christians look at that and they say, oh, that's clean, that's okay, that's not sin. And other Christians' conscience says, well, yeah, you know, it is sin, it is sin. Um, Dancing without lustful thoughts, of course, you know that? We're all assuming that lust is bad, but dancing. You know, some Christians in in this world think it's not clean, and other Christians think, yeah, it's clean. Oh, the the next one I just have to bring up, but uh, wearing swimming suits instead of street clothes when you're swimming. I I only bring that up because when I was in high school, we had a swimming pool in Southern California. I come home from high school one day, and I look out at our backyard, and there are like 30 people, Half are dressed in uh, blue jeans and, you know, dress shirts, and the other half are dressed in dresses. And I just looked at my mom. I said, Mom? She says, they consider it sinful if they bathe with one another, so therefore they have to wear street clothes to swim. Okay, I learned something new. You know? But there are some people that still hold to that tenet that you ought not to swim in a pool with opposite sex. And if, if that's you, great, that's fine. Uh, another thing that might divide Christians, watching Bewitched. Or I Dream a Genie. Right? Anything that, that really makes magic and witchcraft look good. Some of you might laugh at some of this stuff, but remember, I pastored for 16 years and I came across an awful lot of stuff. Uh, listening to secular music. I got a friend of mine, actually pastor of the church, he was telling me his, what he got for Christmas and, and some of the, the record albums that went on his new turntable. And I thought, man, I mean, even me, I'm caught up in some of this stuff. I don't know. Reading non-Christian fiction. Buying a coffee at Starbucks or shopping at Target. Right? You know, a lot of people just consider that really sinful. Because you don't, I mean, you know what they're promoting with your money when you go buy that coffee. Um, putting up a Christmas tree. Decorating Easter eggs. Working on a Sunday or Good Friday. Or taking the children trick-or-treating. These are all things that might divide. And here's one. Having Darth Vader and Princess Leia cardboard cutouts in your attic in your upstairs movie room. You know what? I had a deacon, not from this church, praise God. I had a deacon that came over and told me when he saw those things, he was helping me move something. And he says, you know what? You're an idol worshiper having those big cut out creatures in that room. And I just, all I could think about is praise God. He doesn't see little Kenny McCormick hiding in the corner over there. If you don't know who Kenny is, he's from South Park. And my kids at the time liked little Kenny. I would have got kicked out of that church. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Stephen, before the baptism, he said that, you know what? The concept of baptism confuses people. Well, I'll tell you what. There's a lot more that confuses people than just baptism. And I can say that as a Catho-Baptocostal. 
At 17, God saved me in the Roman Catholic Church. And Marilyn and I got married, and for the first 20 years, and Marilyn's not here because she's probably hiding, no, she's actually sick, but uh, <laughs> Marilyn and I got married in the Catholic Church, and for the first 20 years until we moved to New England, and two years after we moved to New England, uh, we remained Catholic. Now, if you are one of those people that just cannot wrap your mind around the fact that Catholics might actually, some of them may be Christians, I want to help you feel better. Because at the same time when we got married in 1980 and, and we were you know, going to the Catholic Church and, and everything else, our morning alarm clock, because that was the old day, you know, before cell phones and stuff, we had a radio alarm clock, and it was set up so every morning we woke up to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So every morning we awoke to a good old ex-Southern Baptist Presbyterian pastor and teacher. And my favorite, on the way to work every day, I would turn my radio and listen to John MacArthur because he wasn't that far away. And on the way home, I would listen, because it was much longer drive in traffic, I would listen to uh, Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers, and other preachers of the same bent. And my favorite Christian authors back in the early 80s were J.I. Packer, which endorses everything, so he's just great at that. C.S. Lewis, Chuck Colson, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Max Lucado. All going to church on Sundays at the Catholic Church. All right, so talk about confusion. And then we moved to New England. And about 20 years ago, we left the Catholic Church which made some Baptist friends of my mom really happy until they found out that we planted ourselves and landed in a Pentecostal church and they didn't know what was worse. <laughs> and it was at that point that I started learning that certain things like the consumption of alcohol, the, the thought of maybe buying a lottery ticket, the dancing, going to movies, listening to rock and roll, so on and so forth, were... were Sinful in some people's minds, you know? That's what I heard that. And, and just imagine four years after that, that church we were going to, they called me as interim pastor. Lasted 16 years, but I was called as interim pastor. Now, one of the things that the denomination that we were in, they, they made sure that I would have education, so they, they had me take a bunch of online college courses and everything. And at the end of that, I had to go to an interview, and there were 10, 12 godly men, and I say this seriously, godly men. These are godly men. They were all dressed in suits, and they start asking me questions and interviewing me to see if they're going to issue to me a license to preach. And today, you're going to have to decide if they were at fault or not in doing so. But... Uh, and in the middle of this thing, and I was, I was kind of stressed. I'm sitting there in this big room, and these are all like, man, serious men of the faith. And all of a sudden, in the middle of it, one of them says, whoa, whoa. He stands up. He puts a stop to it. He says, we got a problem. I said, okay. He said, I'll just read your interview. I mean, your paperwork, you fill out before this interview. It says that since you were converted, you drank alcohol, and you gambled. Man, my heart stopped beating. I thought, am I even saved? And then out of my mouth, I actually heard this. It's kind of like, I, I, I actually heard myself say, well, have you ever heard of casino night? I got saved when I was Catholic. 
if you haven't been to a casino night, that's what they used to do in the Catholic churches. They would set up a bunch of Vegas games, and we would all go there, and we would, we would raise money for something by playing card games, and it was, it was different, different than this church, I suspect. I haven't seen it on Wednesday night yet. <laughs> but, then, but then I heard come out of my mouth, and I don't know what it was. I said, but you know what? I think we got a bigger problem. My wife and I still own a slot machine that we bought in Las Vegas. She's got a gambling license issued by the state of Nevada so we could own this thing. I'm sorry, Stephen. They're all thinking that you're crazy for putting me up here. You know, I only bring these things up is because there is a lot of confusion. And Paul deals with that confusion a lot in this, chap- in this chapter. Adiaphora, that's a, that's a fancy word that means those things that are re- neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. Matters of conscience, Pastor Stephen talked about in the beginning part. Matters of conscience. The things that Scripture is indifferent about. Now, just in case you're worried before I move on, um, when God called us, or we knew that God was going to call us to ministry, we got bigger got rid of that big old house and Darth and Leia and little Kenny went into the garbage. And that slot machine we actually donated to the auction of a man, man's family that was dying of ca- cancer so they could auction it off. So maybe he's not as crazy as you know, we were all thinking a minute ago when I was up here talking. Um, you know, I hate preachers that just talk about themselves, so I want to get back to the text. When Paul talks about stumbling blocks and hindrances, He's telling us that if you're invited to preach next Sunday in vegan church, don't show up wearing leather and eating a beefsteak sandwich. And if you know everybody in your small group won't go to Starbucks and buy anything, because of their stance on marriage, then don't show up with a bunch of caramel macchiatos for them all next week. Honor one another. Honor the one whom Christ has died to save. Christ gave his life for Last week, when Pastor was up here, verse 5, it said, each one of you should be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6 said, we heard about honoring the Lord in verse 6. In verse 8, we heard about living and dying to Jesus. Today, in verse 15, we heard not to grieve our brothers or sisters in Christ in, in walking about walking in love towards them, about not wanting to destroy the faith. And in a minute, in verse 17, we're going to hear about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, we're going to hear about serving Christ. In verse 19, about promoting peace and building up one another. And in verse 20, we'll hear all about not wanting to destroy the work of God. What are all those verses dealing with? Those from last week, those today, I'll tell you what they're dealing with. They're checking the motivations of our heart. As we come to church, as, we, as we, we serve with one another, the motivations of our heart is what they are checking. You know, Paul, if he were standing up here, and I'm really going out on a limb here, if Paul were up here, he might say, let me ask you, 
What is the motivation of your heart when you point your finger at somebody that Jesus died to save and you declare them evil because they shopped at Target this week or they took their children trick-or-treating? What's the motivation of your heart? What is the motivation of mine? Is it, is it walking in love towards others? Is it honoring Christ, the one who died for them? What's the motivation? That's so much of this. Paul wants us to walk in love towards others, to be motivated by the love of Christ that was poured out for us. And that goes really hand in hand with what Jesus actually tells his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, you know what? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Doesn't that stand out in this world when, when Christians are just loving one another? Doesn't that just stand out? But when I make my opinions, and that was the word last week for Adiaphora, is opinions concerning these matters that are kind of gray areas of Scripture. When I make my opinions over these scriptural gray areas into a doctrine and I hold hard and fast to that doctrine and I try to impose my doctrine on non-essential matters upon you, I'll tell you what, more often than not, if I'm doing that, the, the motivation of my heart at that moment is not loving you. It's not honoring Christ. Typically, when I get this hard and fast stance, and I have, I mean, uh, brothers and sisters, I have seen stuff like this, a big church like this. Everybody just wants to um, go out and evangelize in one particular way, and one person just takes a hard stance, and it's like it's all squashed and souls are lost. Oh, I don't like that. All right. You know what helps me in these situations? It's realizing that even when I don't see eye to eye with Jesus, he still walks in love towards me. He does. Even when he and I aren't on the same page. He's always on the right page, but I kind of divert a bit at times and deviate. It helps me. Now, one quick thing I want to bring up. When Paul says in verse 13, do not pass judgment any longer, he's not telling us to no longer ever judge anything. Because if he were, then he'd be going against Jesus. Because in John 7, 24, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances. Let's call that a definition of a bad judgment, just judging by appearances. But judge with right judgment, Jesus tells us. So what real, really Paul is talking about here when he's saying don't judge, don't put stumbling blocks, don't put hindrances, what he's talking about is don't judge wrongly. Judge rightly. Just judge those important matters that are essential to the faith, such as there being one triune God, Jesus being fully God, fully man, the virgin birth, the sinless life, substitutionary death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's judge those essentials. Let's make sure we got those doctrines right. But when it comes to a kid going out dressed up in a Halloween costume or collecting Easter eggs or even the fact that I just said Easter 
instead of Resurrection Sunday. Let's just not judge that stuff. Let's just keep our opinions to ourselves. That's what Paul is really saying. Why? Because it benefits the kingdom. Verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. A good way to lose sight of these things is when we start focusing upon our opinions and taking a hard stance. That's a good way to lose sight of these things because there's nothing that's going to rob the, the, the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit here faster than people starting pointing finger. But you can't really believe that and you don't really believe that and all this stuff. And we don't always say, we don't, okay, we don't always point our fingers and say, sinner, we just say, well, I would never, I would never go buy that coffee at that place that brings so much destruction into the world. Like, I, I would never do such a thing. You know, we, we make people feel small. Stop it. That's what Paul's saying. Stop it. Now, a good way to promote righteousness, peace, and join the Holy Spirit is by pulling out the cheat sheet that pastor not once but twice gave us and remembering that we ought to be thinking less of ourselves. Point number one. We ought to be thinking more of others. Point number two. That's what Paul's talking about when he's saying, hey, if, if it bothers the person next to you, why don't you just think more of them and less of yourself and just lay it aside for a bit. And we need to just keep in mind point number three, that you know what? God's got a perfect plan, and he's in control of all of this. Verse 18 tells us, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. Now, I, I understand that when I get that, you know, it's like, okay, um, yeah, it's acceptable to God that I serve Christ. I get it. But what about the unsaved man out there? Is that really acceptable to the unsaved man or the unsaved woman? And my answer to that is yes. On Wednesday night, we had a kind of, we always have these crazy little Bible studies nowadays. And uh, one of the things we talked about was that a Christian worldview actually leads to a better society. And a non-Christian worldview typically leads to chaos and hopelessness in society. And I'll tell you what, will an unsaved person find it acceptable that we're serving Christ? Go ask those that were just in tornadoes in Tennessee when those Christian people from disaster relief came up and started offering them hot food or helping them to clean up and pick up stuff, I bet you they find it acceptable when we're all serving God. Because if we all focus upon what God has us do, they're going to see a lot more love out there, a lot more compassion, a lot more mercy, a lot more kindness, and Christ's name is going to be exalted. And isn't that what it's all about? It's not about exalting our names. It's about exalting Christ's names. It's not about raising us up. It's about raising Christ up. And when we start getting in these little tit-for-tat things over, over things that don't really matter in Scripture, the non-essentials, it, it doesn't raise and elevate Christ. We're trying to raise and elevate ourselves. That doesn't do any service to God. I mean, I don't know if you've realized this, but I, it took me a while to realize this, that, you know what? My service to Jesus can only really be expressed through my service to others. And my love for God is expressed through my love for others. 
Verse 19, so then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Um, Let me just summarize that a bit. It took me a long time, and I'm telling you a long time, way too long to learn this truth I'm about to share with you. Um, When God saved me, he did not save me to be the devil's advocate. He saved me to be Christ's advocate, to be an ambassador for Christ. God did not save me to throw stones at others. He actually saved me to humble myself enough to get down and pick up the stones from other people's paths. Anything that we do should not be done in a way that would cause another to stumble. And I've played devil's advocate far too many times in my life, and it's brought doubt into people's minds, confusion. It's caused them to stumble. I've thrown my share of stones in the past. I've had a number of stones thrown back at me. But you know what? God called us to advocate for Christ, to exalt the name of Christ, to elevate the name of Christ, to put Christ above all things. Now, I I have to bring this up because it's just so funny because, you know, we talk about all the time that in a passage like this, what we ought not to do. But do you realize that some of the things that we choose not to do actually will be a humble, uh, a stumbling block to others? There was a time when I was pastoring and I chose not to take up an offering. Isn't this funny? And I said, no, we'll put the offering boxes at the back of the church. And I was a stumbling block to a lot of people. Why? Because in their minds, that, that practice of putting money into the plate, or at that time in our church, we were walking up and giving it during the worship service while people were singing. That was a form of worship to people. So when I stopped doing that, and I understand I don't want a disease either because I'm a germaphobe, uh, but I understand that. But it was just kind of funny because that is a worship thing to some people. And like when I was just in California in November and I went to one of those them their big mega churches and it happened to be communion Sunday and there was the screen up there on a PowerPoint presentation telling me to take and eat. That was hard for me to do. That was for me a stumbling block that that church in my mind was taking the Lord's Supper far too casually and it just, yeah, I was sitting there and I should be, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm looking at the science that's taking eat and there's some kooky worship group up here singing some song that had nothing to do with taking and eating. And, and it just, it was a stumbling block to me because I should have been focused upon Christ's death and resurrection and, and what he did to save me. And all I could think about is, man, they're casual here. How soon can I get out? So even that kind of stuff, the things that we refrain from doing, right? Even that can cause somebody to stumble. Verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is 
condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Bottom line, summary of chapter 14 is this, that faith in God is the greatest motivation for us to walk in love one to another, to build up each other, and to honor Christ. It all begins with faith in God, with trust in God. We trust the Holy Spirit to do his job of convicting. I, I, you know, I don't do as good a job as he does. We trust to the Holy Spirit to, to do his job of correcting, because I don't correct as well as he does. I mean, all those things, there's a place for it, but there's a scriptural way to do it. Pointing fingers, throwing burdens into people's paths, roadblocks, that's not the way. So I just think about this. Um, I know I packed a lot in and I'm a minute or two over, but how do we respond to this kind of a passage? There's so much. I could have preached for eight weeks on this thing. You know, I mean, <laughs> and I don't want to, but I could have. So how do we respond to this thing? I'll tell you what. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can respond by reading this, going to our prayer closet, Humbly accepting it. We can start questioning in our own minds and, and in our own hearts. We can start saying, what is my motivation to doing this or saying this or not saying this? What is my motivation? Is it going to build up or tear down? I mean, when we read this, these words, when we read this book, as Christians, we can believe it and obey it. I mean, Jesus said very simply put, he says, you want to tell me you love me? Obey my commands. Obey my commands. Love one another as I have loved you. No greater love has this than a man lay down his life for another. So we can do that as a Christian. Now, if we're an unbeliever, if maybe it doesn't make sense, we, we don't yet believe that God came in the flesh and offered himself as a sacrifice, if we don't yet believe that, you know what? We can start pressing in even more. And I, and I suggest if, you, if you're a believer, a non-believer, or you, you aren't sure if you're a believer yet, just go to God, press in, say, God, reveal yourself to me. Is this true? Is Christ truly who they say he is? And I guarantee you, he'll, he'll show you. I guarantee you. How do I know that? Because you're here. God's already working in your life. The Holy Spirit's already starting to draw you to Christ. Well, thank you for listening. Let's end in prayer. Father, there is no way for any man to do justice to your word. Lord, there's no way that we, without your Spirit, can remember anything. And Lord, I pray that this morning that any words that I have spoken that you want remembered, that the Holy Spirit wants remembered, that they might exalt Christ, that you would help us, Lord. And Father, as we, as we leave here today after the end of this service, after this wonderful baptism, Lord, 
We ask that you would help us to go forth walking in love, building up one another, and honoring Christ above all. And we thank you for dying for us, for taking the punishment upon yourself that we might go free. Now help us to walk, therefore, in that great realization. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.